in today's society, the season that we're living in, the crisis as we see is one of, uh, it depends on who you're talking to. Many would say it's a crisis of economy. If their business is struggling, they would say the crisis is one of cash flow, business not picking up. If you talk to a professional, they'll say crisis of uh, certainty of jobs or un uncertainty of jobs, situation, market, job market. If you talk to a social scientist or, a, or, you know, or even to a businessman who has a larger view of things, who has a larger enterprise, he'll talk about the societal dangers. You know, the restlessness in societies across the world, anger within the youth. Uh, the government would see one of security, global security situations are in a crisis mode. Nations are uh, preparing for uh, crisis, uh, not just financial, not just societal, but also battles between nations. So there are, there are various crises all around. And, uh, you know, depending upon who you're talking to, as I said, uh, in the midst of this, something gets swept as often does, the real crisis gets swept under the table. And that's the crisis I want to talk to you this uh, morning about. Uh, the real crisis for a child of God is the crisis of the heart the crisis of one's own heart. Um, the verse that I want to uh, begin with is, uh, you know, Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then the next verse, you know, I, the Lord, search the heart I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. The heart is more deceitful than all else uh, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You may say, why, brother, early in the morning on a week, beginning of a week, you're talking about the heart. Because that is what God sees. In Samuel, when uh, uh, you know Samuel goes to Bethlehem in First Samuel 16, he's going there to anoint the new king, and he looks at this tall stature of uh, Jesse's son. Um, verse six. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. He must have been taller because I have rejected him. For, the, for God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you look at, do a word study, the literal translation, in some translations they have it that way, is God does not see what man sees. Not 
God does not see as man sees, which is what most translations do. But the real Hebrew is God does not see what man sees. Wow, that completely changes everything. We see the visible, we see the external. But he says God does not even see that. Why? He knows everything. He sees the one he searches for is the heart. What he searches for is the condition of the heart, the intent of the heart. So this morning, I want to move on to Isaiah as we, with these background verses, uh, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, goes like this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? This is when God's people want to build, rebuild. And God is saying, where is the place that, I'm, that I could rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being. Everything that you're going to build it with is all mine. I made it. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit. And who trembles at my word. Contrite of spirit. To him who is humble. Every ministry can be brought under this. Everything we do for God. Whether we sponsor a missionary, build a church, feed the poor, help the widows. Whatever you do can be brought under this line. Where then is a house you could build for me? What is there that you could do for me? Where is the place that I may dwell? The, all these things I gave, I know, I brought it forth. For my hand made all these things. God can say that about everything that we do or want to do for him. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. But to this one I will look. I will search out this person. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Similarly, Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. The next verse. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. I dwell on a high and holy place in the heavens and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, we, I'm saying the present day Christian worldview has gone far away from this. We don't talk about contriteness. We don't talk about uh, broken spirit, a broken heart. Those are all considered bad things. When you see somebody grieving or mourning or uh, broken, we have pity on them because you're supposed to be strong. The world expects everybody to be strong and uh, you know assertive and put together, but it's the very opposite that God seeks. God seeks the broken things, broken things. 
that's where I want to bring you to, to this place of the need for contriteness. Contriteness, contrite, being contrite is basically regretting over something we have done. Regretting over our actions. Realizing I've done something wrong. How much of that is there in my life? It's not a one-term turning back. The word metanoia, which is, which, which is the Greek word for repentance, means turning back. Turning back in purpose, in thought, and in life. Turning back. This kind of contriteness, grieving over our condition, is the treasure for God. That's where God dwells. He says, I want to live there. To revive that person, to strengthen that person, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. It's not a one-time journey we do. It's not a one-time contriteness that we did 25 years ago in school, camp, or retreat, or college camp, or in some somewhere in a, in a crusade or some evangelism outreach. It's a continual living in contrariness. That is the call of God on us. Continual living or in contrariness. Because we are in need of that every day. Saints, early church, believers, early church, the saints of the early church lived in this. If you are, there are many, many saints of the early church. Early church is basically from New Testament church till about 8300, 300, about 240 to 50 years. That's the, that's the church fathers. They are called church fathers or early church. You read them. There are numerous, numerous testimonies and biographies on them. Read them. Their life was one of continual brokenness. Seeing uncleanness within their life. That's why God says, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? You know, innumerable times. 70 times 7. No number to it. Why? Because you're in need of forgiveness innumerable times. You will be in need of forgiveness. God is merciful again and again and again. You and I are called to be merciful. The, the tragedy of this, the importance of this rather, is that only when we are contrite, then God comes in to revive us and to redeem us. Redemption of God is able, possible, only when there is a brokenness. See, until the sun returned, there was uh, no restoration. The prodigal had to return and had to come to the father and say, I'm unworthy. It is in that unworthiness, God says, huh, now that you know and you have confessed to unworthiness, now let me give you grace and I make, I'll make you worthy. You're worthy now. Because you know that you are unworthy. That means the next morning that son waking up cannot go around and beat up the servants and demand of his family. 
he lives in a continual brokenness. Yes, I'm in the father's house. I only asked to be a servant. I'm in the father's house. I got the best robe. I got the everything best. Last night was an amazing feast. I have been forgiven, but I'm not worthy. I deserve not even the servanthood. My father is merciful. Every day waking up, realizing I have been given something that I don't deserve. That I have received mercy. Mercy is nothing but that. Mercy is not being given what punishment I deserve. Not being given what punishment I deserve. The flip side of that is grace. Being given what I don't deserve to receive. Grace is receiving what I don't deserve to receive. What an amazing God who does not give what we deserve, which is the, for all the filth of our heart, we deserve death, alienation from God. God turns that around and says, no, I paid for this, I'm washing this, I'm beginning again this morning. No matter what the filth was of yesterday, what filth I walked into yesterday, he says, no, I still believe my child can come back. I'm going to begin again. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give her, I'm going to give them another chance. So he removes the punishment from us, does not give what we deserve, the punishment. He says, I'm going to add one more. I'm going to show him favor. I'm going to show her favor. I'm going to give them sonship, daughtership, all the authority, all the dignity that they lacked. He came back in rags and in filth. He says, I can't let anybody see my child like this, cover him with the best robe. Nobody should see my child the way he came back. Dignity. He had no identity. His identity was all short. You know, playing around with filth, living in filth, scrounging around with pigs. Gave him a ring and said, you have an identity. You are a child of the king. You belong. And then status in society, sandals. He had lost all of that. He even sold that away. Every status, everything that you and I seek for, God restores. Everything that we lose in the marketplace, God restores. Everything that we lose along life's journey, God restores. And he gives us our place that we don't deserve in the kingdom of God, in God's house, forever, eternity with God. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. All who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Romans. So our call is to a greater cause, to a greater purpose. If there is contriteness of our heart, this is the, that's the beginning. See, it doesn't cost money, but it costs something very big. You know what it costs? It costs us pride. It costs pride. Pride has to be sacrificed at the altar of reconciliation with God. The humble are able to do that. 
the truly broken are able to do that. Get past the humility issue, pride issue. The one that is proud, there are many wandering sons and daughters all through human history. And there are still around the world who have not come back to the father because they don't want to come back with the filth and the torn clothes and the filthy rags because the enemy is convincing them. Wait, you can get better. You can establish yourself. And then you can come back to the father. Otherwise, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to look down on you. So this pride keeps many from coming back to God. What is it that's keeping you this morning? If you have not come back to God, what is it that's keeping you from coming back to God? Is it pride? So often we look for brokenness in others. See, all revival, all turning around begins with people turning back with repentance, contrite heart leading to repentance. We have so many groups around the world praying for revival of churches, organizations, missions, nations. The fundamental problem with that is that they believe they need to change. You study church history, study history of revival, history of stories of grand movements of God. All of it began when one individual cried over the condition of their heart, their own heart, not of somebody else's heart. When one begins there, then God enters that place and begins to revive that person. And then one more, one more begins to cry over their heart. Then it becomes a group of people crying over the condition of their heart, the sickness of their heart. And then very soon there is a mass number of people grieving over the lostness of their heart, the unacceptableness of their own heart, their own hearts. That's the beginning of a revival. Not in other, others' heart, in the realization that it is me. See, until we come to that place, redemption is not possible. God cannot redeem us. God cannot forgive us. God cannot wash us with his blood. We need to come to him with a brokenness. Broken heart. The stubborn heart leads to condemnation. The hardened heart, the proud heart, leads to condemnation. Word of God is very clear. Very clear. Let me read a couple of verses uh, to Romans 2, 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Impenitent heart. A heart that's not contrite. The very opposite of contrite. Romans 1.21 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, 
but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1.21 All over. Bless Proverbs 28.14 Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Hardens his heart. Romans 20, uh, Proverbs 28.14 Again and again, hardening of heart. Hardening of heart. We are called to a broken heart. We are called to a contrite heart. We are called to uh, a confessing heart. A heart that says, I'm not worthy. I, I, see, I see sin here. I see what should not be here. See, a contrite heart also leads to God's ministry through us. Until you and I are contrite of heart continually, we cannot have mercy on the one that needs mercy. When we have hardened our hearts, we will also harden our heart when it comes to need somebody in need of mercy. We say, I, nobody gave it to me. I've heard this so many times, especially people who grew up in the 30s. The 1930s in America, there was a major depression. I've known many older men who grew up in that time, who grew up in suffering, or anybody who have grown through life suffering, who think that they took care of themselves. They believe the life that they were the ones who provided for themselves. I pulled myself by my bootstraps. That's a word I've heard many times from very older people. They think even at this age, they believe they took care of themselves. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. That means I, I pulled my uh, straps Laces, tied it, and I went to work. I took care of myself. What a, uh, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that we see that worldview brings. Because when they are faced with somebody in need of mercy, they say, you have to solve your problem yourself the way I did it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Bootstraps never brought anybody up. Yeah, I'm not saying you should not work. I'm not saying hard work is bad. I'm not saying that at all. There are many, many, many people who have worked their guts out who don't have God's favor. There are many, many people who God provides to his beloved even in his sleep. You know, there's a verse that says that God's favor alone provides. God decides to bless you, grant you. Nothing can stop him. He provides you in the midst of depression, in the midst of the greatest financial collapse. He will provide you. That is the father that he is. So I want to challenge you this morning. Nurture brokenness of your heart. Nurture contriteness of your heart. If there is grief in your heart, I want to 
read one more verse and finish. Our time is up. Second, second, second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Second Corinthians 7.10. Sorrow that is according to the will of God. In one version it says godly sorrow. That's what I'm talking about. Contriteness of our own condition leads to repentance and to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's going to be sorrow either way, my friend. If it is godly sorrow, sorrow of the condition of our heart leads to salvation and to life. Worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow. If we are afraid of godly sorrow and we run into the world, there is sorrow waiting there that leads to death. I want to challenge you this morning. Nurture contriteness of heart. Then God himself will dwell with you and me. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for directing our attention to your word this morning. Help us, Lord, in a time where everybody is talking about every other crisis. None almost talk about the crisis of our heart, which is the basis of all our future. Where our future, with whom our future, it depends on our contriteness of our heart. Help us to nurture contriteness. Help us to grieve over the things in our heart and in our life. Help us to purify, Lord, purify us. Your word says that you'll give us a new heart, that you'll give us a soft heart. Your word says that, that you'll take the heart of, heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Do that for us this morning. The contrite spirit, Lord. Test us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.